It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Pistons podcast. This is your episode for Thursday, February 22nd, and only one more day until there's basketball back and we can get back to watching the Pistons on a regular basis. But this is your host, Matt Shook. You can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, another underscore after that. And also follow the Locked On Pistons Twitter account and our Facebook page at Locked On Pistons dash Matt Shook as well. We're going to give the official update on Reggie Jackson. I'm sure you've heard about it by now that the Pistons released on Wednesday. But we're also going to be talking about the Blake Griffin trade. It's such a big deal, the kind of a franchise-moving trade for the next several years that I figured we'd look back on it a little bit today. Keith Langlois had some details in a story he wrote for Pistons.com that we'll pass along. But the main part of today's podcast is we'll be joined by Locked On Clippers host Lucas Han for a wide-ranging interview about the trade, the loose ends that we haven't uh, really figured out or hashed out yet, wanted to keep it to some things that uh, haven't already been uh, talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, his podcast, and you and your friends with Pistons fans and all that kind of stuff about uh, all the things that the, the Pistons have to think about going ahead with this new trade. But uh, the Pistons are back in action on Friday night at home against the Boston Celtics and then have another one Sunday afternoon for a matinee 1 o'clock on the road against the Charlotte Hornets. So the Pistons passed along an update to the media on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, I thought it was bizarre that they would do this, but I, re- I get a lot of the emails from the Pistons, and I don't recall ever something getting something like this, but they sent a release saying that, that Reggie Jackson is entering the next stage of rehab from his ankle sprain, and it says he's been cleared to begin light running, shooting, and continued ankle strengthening exercises. The medical staff will monitor his progress throughout the week in anticipation of beginning an escalation process towards resuming normal basketball activities. Now, it seems like that's the kind of thing that's going to take a couple weeks, even when he gets started on the process. So um, not not a, the forthcoming return of Reggie Jackson might not be as soon as you might hope if you're a Pistons fan, but maybe a couple days or a few days into March, you might think about seeing him getting some limited action on the court for the Pistons. So Obviously, we'll keep you posted if there's anything else released about the point guard's uh, return from his ankle injury. But we had Keith Langlois of Pistons.com wrote kind of an in-depth article about the night that Blake Griffin got traded, and he actually went to Tom Gore's house in uh, Los Angeles and met him there. He took his agent as well, as long as his, along with his brother, Taylor, who played with him at Oklahoma, and his kid seems like kind of a business manager in some ways, confidant of Blake Griffin's throughout his career. The group played a lot of pool. They ate a lot of food, as Langlois noted in the article, but the most interesting parts were that about how Tom Gores' wife, Holly, and his son, Charles, shared some stories that kind of put Griffin at ease, kind of instilling that family atmosphere and talking about how 
that uh, Griffin's going to enjoy the Midwestern people of Michigan and whatnot. Remember, Blake is tied to L.A. with his most of his career, all of his career until the last couple of weeks, being with the L.A. Clippers. But he grew up in Oklahoma, so it's not like he's doesn't know what it's like to be a smaller town guy. So I encourage you to read that article on Pistons.com as I've talked about. Keith Langlois isn't just a PR flack. He's a, a longtime great journalist for the Oakland Press and other places and um, does a good job writing about the Pistons for Pistons.com. So uh, definitely check that out. But we got another thing that you should check out, and that's our interview with Lucas Han of Locked On Clippers, the expert of the uh, the Clips. So, But if your company is interested in men between the ages of 18 and 44, then your company should be sponsoring this podcast. Locked On Pistons is listened to by 98% men and 80% between the ages of 18 to 44. So if you want men 18 to 44, this is your spot. Plus, our rates are reasonable. Email me at matt underscore shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, at yahoo.com to find out more. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax, make your moves, they'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. And now we got a little bit of a crossover podcast here with the Locked On Clippers host. We got Lucas Han, who covers the team on a daily basis, just like we do here at Locked On Pistons. Lucas is getting ready for the post All Star break, just like we are here in Detroit. So, Lucas, thanks for joining us today, and uh, you're welcome for joining you, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that we finally have a chance to talk about it together. You know, after a couple of weeks after the deal goes down. Yeah, and like we kind of talked about off uh, recording here. It, We've talked about this trade, the the big deal from, I guess, about 10 days, two weeks ago now uh, that changes the the future and the present of these franchises in a huge way. Um, we've probably talked about it ad nauseum, so we've got to come up with a couple of fresh topics and ways to look at it. And I guess my first question that I would ask you, Lucas, is what changed from the time that they brought Blake in to Staples Center with, uh, I don't know exactly what the, the report was of of how they lured him back in free agency with the banners and all that kind of stuff to, you know, not even a full season goes by. And there's, you know, it wasn't like the Clippers had a disastrous year this season going or anything like that, pretty much according to other than the injuries that they had, according to somewhat of a plan and Lou Williams playing really well over there. What happened from there until then? What was the the team's kind of main motivation to make the deal and get rid of Blake Griffin? Yeah, I mean, I think the good news for the Pistons is probably that it, it doesn't seem on any level that it was buyer's remorse from the Clippers. It's not like they signed the deal and six months later we're going, oh man, I really wish we hadn't signed this deal. Is there any way we can get rid of it? Um, I, th- I think if the Clippers could go back in time and put themselves you know, on July 1st again, they'd offer Blake that big contract again. I don't think that that's, that's up for, you know, that's much of a question. I just feel like, I think this is how the Clippers feel as well. With the way the team kind of changed from opening night through late January with 
all of the injuries that they had, the new young guys that emerged, the G League guys who came up and actually earned earned spots in the starting lineup and were playing tremendously well, the identity of the team changed. And when Blake came back, it was kind of a an awkward fit when you compare it to what you thought you would be having with guys like Patrick Beverly and Gallinari and, and Teodosic all in the starting lineup with him. And I think they really took a step back and they looked at the team they had and they felt like we have some players who we like on cost-controlled contracts. We have some young players who we like. We feel like we have you know, a jumble of assets that we can build with in the long term. And the main thing that would restrict us from that is this ginormous contract. But they're able to you know, get a fairly decent return from the Pistons. You get Tobias Harris, who's a big building block going forward. Avery Bradley, who maybe they can move again. Maybe they can keep. Maybe they let walk. Get a first-round pick. Um, so I just feel like I, I don't think it was, oh, man, Blake Griffin isn't as good as we thought he was. But it was probably just that the team decided to have a little bit of a different timeline than they thought they were going to be having last July. And that timeline is is kind of exactly the reverse of what the Pistons were thinking. Um, it's been a long time since uh, Chauncey Billups and Ben Ben Wallace and those guys. Those guys aren't walking through the door, and uh, fans aren't walking through the door at the new arena right now. And I know that's a little bit overblown, but it's been a really disappointing turnout for fans in a new arena for the first year in Detroit. And the, they just wanted to speed up the clock a little bit and say, bring some excitement, bring a big-time name. Tom Gores is a Flint guy, but he's down in Southern California now uh, living the life in LA as a billionaire down there. So he wanted to bring some prestige and uh, for the Pistons sake, they, you know, got one of the big names in the NBA and uh, hopefully for their sake, it's more of a short-term deal. And that, but that being said, I think the Pistons obviously are looking at this as kind of a two, three-year deal as well. Hopefully that back end, the $39 million in the last season, and, and as it escalates up to that, doesn't get super ugly. It's going to be at least a little bit ugly. But, uh, you know, he's still a guy who hopefully has got a, a, at least a couple, maybe a few good years left in him before he approaches his his mid-30s there. Um, what do you think uh, about um, – about Tobias Harris, what's the early returns on him? He's going to be a free agent, not this summer, but the following summer. Is he going to be a guy that uh, should be buying and not renting in the LA area? Yeah, I think he should be buying and not renting in the LA area. Obviously, everything is up in the air, especially with the team that is where the Clippers are now post-trade, where everything is in flux. And you know, if they have an opportunity to to get a guy at one of those forward positions and they have to choose between Gallinari and Harris, I think they probably choose Harris. But if Gallinari's contract is harder to move or, or whatever, then I, I don't think they're particularly, particularly attached to keeping anyone on the team right now, which I think is where they want to be. They want to have a bunch of movable, valuable pieces so that they can shift stuff around it and kind of build the team on the fly going forward. But I think most likely he's a guy who they seem to be pretty invested in He's had a pretty big role in the offense since he came in. He's been playing pretty well. Um, his three-point shot has, you know, not been super great with the Clippers, but it's we're talking about a, a really small sample size here, so it's not something that I think I'm concerned with. But the pairing with him and Gallinari has been interesting because you've got two guys on the wing who, you know, basically have kind of similar scoring offensive games. Tobias, obviously, a little bit more athletic. But just having multiple guys on the floor who can score – and then seeing them share the ball a little bit 
even though none of them are big assist guys, it's kind of worked. It's it's been interesting and it's worked a little bit well. Um, kind of what I guess one thing that that I'm interested in is, you know, I, I obviously I've enjoyed Tobias Harris in, in his little bit of time with the Clippers. I think he's good, but everyone knows that Blake Griffin is a pretty dynamic upgrade as an all-around player. Has there been any way that the Pistons offense has changed kind of drastically or, or maybe something that you watch and it's just, we didn't have that before when you see what Blake Griffin can do out there. Yes. Um, it's the fourth quarter it, early on. I mean, as, as you may know, they won their first four games and it was the, uh, the trail end of a, of um, a four a five game winning streak. And then they, they dropped three and then picked up the win over Atlanta right before the break. And, the early games where they were winning, it was like Blake Griffin can just go get a bucket in the fourth quarter. And Reggie Jackson's been that guy before he's been injured over the last few years that the Pistons rely on for getting a bucket. And obviously when you're talking about Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson, there's just no comparison in terms of the ability to go score when the team needs a basket. But on the flip side of that, since those wins, the the offense has really gone stagnant, and I think Stan Van Gundy and the Pistons coaching staff needs to figure. I mean, this isn't this isn't just me saying it; everyone's saying it that this All Star break they need to figure out how to do this because the Pistons had this season where the coming into the year they they got a lot of teams off balance because they moved Andre Drummond out to the high post. He was working at what some people called kind of a point center, and was you know Bradley was cutting to the basket, um, Tobias was up at the top of the key knocking down threes. And then it was just like this new fangled offense using Andre Drummond's passing ability and um, his, as opposed to putting him in the post. Now you have Blake Griffin, who obviously is uh, more of a perimeter threat than Andre Drummond will ever be. Not that Blake Griffin's a, a great shooter, but he's developing that skill as it goes on. And um, now you've got kind of a mix-up. I mean, now, because the natural inclination is to move Andre Drummond back to the low post. Well, we've saw for the first several years of his career that he's just not a back-to-the-basket guy. And now they actually are throwing him the ball in the post a little bit, and it's infuriating Pistons fans because he's just not a guy who's – I mean, it's you watch him play, you'll you'll see him take six posts up, post-ups in a game, and he'll miss all six of them, but just barely. And you're like, man, if, if you would have just knocked down four of those, that would have been pretty good. But then it's like, wait, that's that same exact scenario has played out over six years or five years. So how are we going to think that this is actually going to change? Is he going to develop that that touch around you know six, eight feet or whatever else it is? So it's something that the Pistons fans are, are just tired of seeing. So Stan's got to figure out a way. First of all, I think he's got to get them on the court separately from each other where, where one, one of them's resting, the other one's going to have to be out there exclusively. But otherwise, how are they going to coexist? How can you use, like you said, Blake Griffin's, multi uh, talents that he has offensively and some of Andre Drummond's who, who's obviously a talented player too in a lot of different kind of ways he catches the lobs he's got that court vision and uh, the improved free throw shooting has really helped out every part of the equation for him offensively so it's it, and I don't have the answer they don't pay me five million dollars to be the coach of the Detroit Pistons fortunately for everyone out there so it's going to be a tough balancing act for Stan Van Gundy to figure out. But the good news is, is he's, like I said, he came up with this offense coming into this, uh, this season, he's had, uh, offensive that have kind of bucked the trend before in Orlando and even Miami before known as kind of a guy who's a little bit revolutionary at times with some of the coaching things he does, especially offensively. So we're going to, we're going to let Stan make those decisions and, and earn his money uh, going forward. 
So speaking of money, thirty like going into next season, the year after, thirty-two million for Blake, thirty-four million for Blake, twenty-five, twenty-seven for Drummond, seventeen, eighteen for Reggie Jackson. How do the Pistons be good around those guys? How do they get good around those guys? How do they build out that rotation? Because it's something the Clippers struggled with forever, man. Like so much frustration during the Paul Griffin Jordan era. Like, yeah, you know. J.J. Redick was a good piece. Jamal Crawford had a couple of good seasons off the bench. They had other guys who contributed in little ways, but it always felt like they needed to get a little more than role players. Like they needed another talented player on the wing. And I think, the you know, looking at the Pistons, it's kind of the same way. Like they need another guy who can really say is like a legitimately good, like really good two-slash-three guy, and then kind of get that role player in the last starting spot. Yeah, you hit it on the head. Um, unfortunately, the NBA is not a three-on-three game. It's a five-on-five game. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of lumped Reggie Jackson in there, and, and you did too, and we and we all do here as well. And around the NBA is like the big three. Well, Reggie Jackson has got a lot to prove before we put him in that thing. And and, and the biggest one being his ability to get back from this ankle sprain that he has. Um, he was really good two years ago for the Pistons and then he got hurt and he was really bad all of last season and then coming into this year he looked more like two years ago as opposed to last year so it was going pretty well but the injury that he has has people concerned that it's going to be more of last year's hobbled Reggie Jackson coming back so and then how is he going to deal with the fact that his uh, volume of shots is going to go down obviously with Blake Griffin being a guy who you want to taking you know the most shots on your team throughout any game when you look at this roster but like you said the answers are going to have to come within for the Pistons when you give up the first round draft pick like they did uh, in the deal. And then you have the salaries, like you mentioned, for Drummond, Jackson, and Griffin right there. The answers are going to have to go. They're going to have to be a lot of Reggie Bullocks out there, guys that are unheralded, that are making under $3 million a year that uh, the scouting department finds, that you re-sign on nice deals and all that kind of stuff. You're going to have to find a couple more of those. Reggie Bullock, former Clipper, has been outstanding for the Pistons this year. One of the better 3 and D guys in the league, which is really hard to believe given the track record that he had in the NBA before the season. I'm not sure about right now, but in within the last week or so, he was the number one three-point shooter in the NBA, which is hard to believe um, from a guy who was the the 13th man signed and kind of a footnote to the off season for the Pistons as they were looking at the season. But you got to have guys like Stanley Johnson make that next step. He's been great for two weeks, really since the trade a little before the trade, he's been great. He's been the the number eight pick that Pistons fans have been, fans have been waiting for, for three years. Luke Kennard, who's been pretty good for his rookie season. He's got to be really good going forward if the Pistons want to make the playoffs this year and they want to be a team that gets the playoffs uh, the next couple of years and makes a little noise in the Eastern Conference. And the most important thing for the front office is they've got to not only find those guys, but they got to be smart and not splurge when they do have some free agent capability, some 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 cap space that will not be available probably this summer. They, they got to find ways to not you follow the trends and throw a bunch of money at guys like John Lure and like Boban and like uh, Langston Galloway, like they did this off season. They kind of threw a lot of money at these veterans that now they, they get into the, the franchise and they're not even playing that much. So it's interesting. And like you said, there's no margin for error out there for guys when you have so much salary wrapped up with those three. 
We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. I brought up Boban, and I want to ask you about him. He's a little bit of a cult hero around really the world in the NBA, but especially in Detroit. Everyone loves him on social media. Um, just a hilarious guy, uh, not just because of his size, but, but he's just got a great sense of humor. I mean, it, how's Boban in Hollywood? Are we talking about a movie or something? What are we going to do with uh, with Boban and, uh, on the West Coast? Yeah, I mean, I kind of hate Stan Van Gundy for giving him that contract. Because I want him to be, I don't want the Clippers to need to trade it. You know what I mean? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a kind of deal where like $7 million a year, they're trying to rebuild the team. He's, pro- he's a guy who probably will be included in tons of trade talks next year with that $7 million expiring. And you just want him, you want him around, right? Like Absolutely. he's the type of guy you, yeah. you wish he was on a minimum deal or, you know, 2 million or whatever, something small. Because, I mean, he's, you know, he's probably not a rotation piece. I think you guys probably saw that he's not a rotation piece, but he is a utility piece on your roster. And he's just so fun. You know, we, he played, I think he's only played once since, since the deal. And he got put in with a couple seconds left at the end of a game to guard the inbounder on a side out of bounds when the Clippers were up by like two or three points at the end of the game. And he guards the inbounder with his ginormous arms right he's ridiculously big and the pass ends up just being a little too far out of bounds and the guy the guy who receives it steps out of bounds on the other sideline so you know we call that a game winning um game winning inbound defense by Boban so he's already a clutch hero for Clippers fans um yeah and he's you know I think this is probably going to be pretty good for his career because everybody's you know loved him and thought he was a fun guy and whatever forever but now he's like going on Sports Nation and dancing with Michelle Beadle, right? And and doing a lot of stuff in LA that obviously isn't as available in Detroit. So yeah, I think it, I I don't know about a movie. Um, I don't want to jump the gun, but I think he's a it's a good fit. He's the kind of guy you want like in the locker room, especially easing that Tobias Harris transition, which is pretty crucial for the Clippers with how much they have invested in Tobias. Um, but yeah, you know, that contract really sucks, man. I, I wish I wish he could be a guy that, that they could hang on to. Um, you talked a little bit about Reggie Bullock. And Reggie's a really interesting case for me because it's kind of, you know, the, Doc Rivers had this chain of failed draft picks when he first took over the Clippers. And a lot of them were, you know, there weren't there wasn't any pick above 25. So it's kind of hard to blame a guy for missing it. 25 and 28 and 56 or wherever he was picking but the only person the only player that he really got a return for when the Clippers gave up on them a couple years later was Reggie so like they traded CJ Wilcox for a future second round pick they trade or I think they just cut um Brandon Dawson you know a couple of these guys they haven't really gotten anything for but Reggie Bullock they got Austin Rivers back in that deal in that trade and Austin Rivers of course has been tremendously great for the Clippers for three years now so it's kind of fitting I think that Reggie has panned out a little bit because the Clippers actually got someone who was also 
way down, NBA career potentially about to be over, who's really had a resurgence as well. But yeah, I'm I'm happy to see Reggie playing well. Um, obviously, you know, it hurts a little bit when someone leaves your team and starts doing better. But I think that's alleviated by the fact that the Clippers also kind of got a reclamation project that really worked out. Um, and, you know, going back a little bit um, into your last bit about Reggie Jackson and, you know, is he a part of the big three? How does he deal with less touches now that Blake's there? Do you see a potential avenue of team building where they maybe decide that Reggie Jackson isn't who they want to be the third guy with Blake and Andre going forward. And maybe they try to go, you know, build a system where you need less of a ball dominant scoring point guard because you have Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond who can both score and pass from the forward positions and maybe look to balance out kind of their salary commitments with a point guard and wings or shift that money towards being used on the wing. I don't, I mean, I don't, this is just kind of me speculating, but do you think there's a chance that they, that this isn't the big three that they do look to move Reggie Jackson and get someone on the wings and maybe accept a little bit of a downgraded point guard? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Actually. I, the, the, a little bit of buyer's remorse on Reggie Jackson. His name's been thrown around in trade talks. And when you hear about the Pistons trade talks, it's you know that it's something that has already gone through the system and it's not going to happen. There was a little bit of Stanley Johnson for Rodney Hood talk. But yeah, uh, Reggie Jackson was apparently offered uh, up to Orlando. I think at the deadline last year, he was offered up to teams as well. There was even talk about him being uh, part of a package down to Charlotte and Tobias Harris was actually a package possibly down to Charlotte for Kemba Walker too. So it's not like Stan Van Gundy is completely invested into Reggie Jackson. He's seen him for a couple of years now and he knows that he's a defensively not a strong uh, player really. And uh, that's what the Pistons teams of the past has kind of been their hallmark was with Pist- was, uh, was defensive ability, especially in the backcourt with guys like Joe Dumars and Chauncey Billups and stuff like that. So, and when you can't, you know, stop point guards in a point guard league, then you're going to have a lot of problems. And, and Reggie, he was just one of the worst players in the NBA last year in terms of uh, you look at all the advanced numbers when uh, comparing him to the usage that he had uh, was just an abysmal because he had knee problems and wasn't the same kind of explosive player. So yeah, I would say that the leash is kind of short for him when in a management perspective, but Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson seem to be just best buds. I mean, they're, they're kind of the, the two driving forces of this team off the court and on the court as well. And to Blake Griffin's credit, not only did he come in and say all the right things after every, everyone kind of pictured him rolling his eyes about going from Los Angeles to Detroit in February, but he said all the right things about coming to Detroit, but you'd notice that he, he not only talked about playing with Andre Drummond, but he was the first to bring up Reggie Jackson over and over again. And I think that's important because Jackson's an emotional guy. He's a guy that loves being wanted. He's, he's a little bit of a different dude. I mean, he was raised in Germany on military bases. He doesn't seem to gravitate towards his teammates as much as, some other guys, not in a Chris Paul kind of way, but in kind of a a little bit of a, a loner kind of way. And I think that, you know, to get him uh, on the right place physically, emotionally, and mentally is going to be a challenge for this team going forward. They're going to give it a shot, um, obviously going in next year, hoping that he's healthy. But yeah, like you said, I think looking at trades, the problem is trading him is tough because of the contract. And, and, and because of that, you might have to attach assets to him. Well, 
there's not a lot of assets left for the Pistons right now, and they don't want to go into that draft pick uh, war chest anymore, obviously giving up the the cost-controlled uh, pick that the Clippers will have next year, barring a, a lottery miracle for the Pistons possibly uh, before uh, the draft this year. But, yeah, it, there's just not many options, and they're going to have to give Reggie Jackson more than enough time to prove that uh, he's not the guy. And hopefully in that, uh, instead of that, he proves that he is the guy to uh, coexist with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond because there's not many other options right now. Very, very interesting stuff going forward, I think, for both teams with the Pistons, obviously, having to figure out how they're going to build this team around Blake Griffin. Obviously a short-term upgrade in talent, but with Blake, the cap sheet just gets clogged. And it's, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they can get creative. They have an advantage, I think, over the Clippers in building around Blake, which is that they have those young, promising players that you mentioned earlier, Johnson and Kennard, and even Reggie Bullock to an extent. Guys that have a chance of really progressing in the next two to three years and coming into their own in the league. The Clippers just never really had young talent on that scale during this era of Clippers basketball. Um, they had, you know, those pieces that they had, frankly, they had to trade to get Chris Paul. And so the only one guy who was really left was Eric Bledsoe, who played the same position as Chris Paul. It'll be very interesting to see what the Clippers do. A little less, I think, direction than the Pistons right now. The Pistons seemingly know where they're going and what they're trying to do. Clippers are floating a little bit, waiting to see what opportunities come to them and how they can begin to build. But it's been really good getting to sit down and talk to you, Matt. Um, and I think for both of our audience to, audiences to kind of get in touch with what's going on with each other's teams, since these teams are so closely connected now. Um, I keep saying, and I feel bad about it. I, keep, I feel bad about rooting against the Pistons this season. Obviously, it's in the Clippers' interest with them having Detroit's draft pick. But I do really, really genuinely hope that going forward, the Pistons find a way to have a lot of success around Blake Griffin and that Blake finds a way to have a lot of success. Blake is a guy who is really, really dear in you know to a lot of Clippers fans, being with the team for so long, lifting us out of irrelevance. So I really hope the best for that. Um, thank you for, for talking, you know, talking today. And I hope this is something that I think both of our audiences will get a lot of benefit from. I wanted to echo those same statements about it, particularly Tobias Harris, just a guy who did great work in the community in Detroit, represented the Pistons organization is, uh, you know, he's, he's, on social media with the, his Christian faith out there. Um, obviously a really good guy uh, come, is all about improving in basketball and uh, someone that it was kind of a, you know, you're excited to get Blake Griffin on the trade if you're a Pistons fan, but it's quite a, a gut punch to lose Tobias Harris like we did. So um, congratulations to the Clippers fans for having Tobias in their lives and Boban as well. And Avery Bradley, who knows where his future lies, but um, if the Clippers can sneak into the playoffs, I will say that uh, the advanced stats defensively have never been kind to Avery Bradley, but I think his role is could be a guy who bothers small guards and you got Steph Curry could be an eight, one matchup or two, seven matchup for the Clippers. And obviously they'd be heavy underdogs in that series. But if you want to come up with scenarios where there's an injury and maybe Bradley can get in Curry's pocket and bother him quite a bit. Uh, that's why I thought that some contender, some championship contender was going to go trade for Avery Bradley. And I was surprised that the Clippers ended up with him still, but 
Um, he's not a guy who's going to take out, you know, bigger wings defensively. And he's not a guy who's going to be a strong team defensive player, but he can really bother those little guys and make their life hell sometimes. So they'll, uh, Clippers fans will certainly enjoy watching that. And we'll echo those statements too. Uh, we're rooting for the Clippers and we have no reason to root against them with the draft, except <laughs> on ping pong, ping pong day, we're going to be, uh, if we're in the lottery, the Pistons fans will certainly be uh, rooting for us to get one of those top three picks so that we can delay that first round pick being shipped out West uh, to as long as possible. Man, that would, that would, that's the nightmare scenario for the Clippers, I think, but I think you're absolutely right. That would be a dream for the Pistons because then come in with that high pick next year, a full team of Blake and Andre together, the pick probably ends up being significantly lower than it will be this year, um, potentially in the, you know, 12 to 16 range this year probably ends up being probably in like a 16 to 20 range next year. Um, Absolutely. That would, be, well, that would be a dream scenario for the Pistons. That would be, that would hurt the Clippers. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, hopefully uh, for one of our sakes or whatever, that uh, that doesn't happen. But hopefully you guys make the playoffs and uh, maybe we'll see you in the NBA finals this year. How about that? Well, that would be a hell of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe not, but we'll see. All right. Well, Lucas Han, uh, this has been Matt Shook of Locked On Pistons, Lucas of uh, Locked On Clippers, and uh, maybe we'll do this again come spring and see how the results bared out. Yeah, that would be that would be cool. And that's all. Thanks to Lucas Han of Locked On Clippers for joining us. But uh, we're going to be talking about the Boston Celtics and looking ahead to the beginning stretch after the All Star break. The Pistons have a bear of a schedule to start things: six games in nine days, and I believe nine and fifteen games as well. So we'll be talking specifically about basketball on Friday and the upcoming games and get ready for a big weekend and a big week or so. Plus for the Pistons coming up, a lot of marquee names, a lot of big games and a lot of what should be compelling television for us. Or if you're going to the game, compelling theater on the court going forward. So that's coming up on Friday, but give a follow to the Lockdown NBA Network on Twitter at Lockdown NBA Net, and also give us a follow on Facebook at Lockdown Pistons Dash Matt Shook, and give us an iTunes review if you would, and also subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. But thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks again to Lucas Han, and uh, we'll talk to you all again very soon. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.